This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Vanilla. Noun. A substance obtained from vanilla beans or produced artificially and used to flavor sweet foods or to impart a fragrant scent to cosmetic preparations. A tropical climbing orchid that has fragrant flowers and long pod-like fruit. Adjective. Having no special or extra features. Ordinary or standard. We use vanilla all the time in all sorts of cooking, especially baking and ice cream. Although this ingredient is very ordinary or standard, it comes from exotic places like Paso Robles. So the Playing With Food team took a journey to explore the delights of this ordinary standard foodstuff. My name is Josephine Lockhead, and I am president and CEO of Cook Flavoring Company. We manufacture vanilla, that's our specialty, and we also manufacture many other extracts and flavors. You're up here in Paso Robles, which is one of the hottest places on the Central Coast in the summer. Do you grow the vanilla here because of the weather? No, we don't. The vanilla has to be grown in a tropical climate. And most of our vanilla comes from Madagascar right now, but we also source from Papua New Guinea, Uganda, sometimes in the South Pacific. We have a vanilla plantation in Fiji. Definitely not in Paso Robles. That would not be the right climate, although we do manufacture here. Do you have your own plantations? Just in Fiji. It's not producing right now. So most of the vanilla, as you see from all the photographs on the walls here, is from Madagascar, which is the main source of vanilla in the world, of quality vanilla. Since we can't go out onto the plantation, how does vanilla grow? Well, vanilla is an orchid, and it is the only orchid that produces an edible fruit. We call vanilla the queen of the rainforest. It produces a very nondescript flower, kind of a pale flower, once a year, sometimes twice a year in certain regions. The interesting thing about vanilla is that it has to be hand-pollinated. There's only one bee in the world that will pollinate the vanilla orchid, and that's the melopona bee. And it's a tiny, tiny bee. It's found only in the Veracruz area of Mexico, in Papantla, where vanilla originated. Even in Mexico, they hand-pollinate. The other interesting fact is that vanilla has to be pollinated before noon on the same day it blooms, or else the blossom falls off. So, yeah, I know. Very interesting. Even more interesting is that every human being on this earth has a sensor for vanilla. The fact that it is originated in one little tiny place in Mexico, and there's one little bee that will pollinate it. It's really fascinating. How do these plantations get pollinated? Because I'm assuming there are millions of flowers, and then you have to do it all in one, one morning. Okay, so the pollination period in the southern hemisphere, it starts in late August, goes through November. And depending on how many vines there are in a plantation or plot, and vanilla is usually grown in smaller plots. It hates to be mass-produced. It's very particular. And so every day, the farmer, his wife, his children, go out and they hand-pollinate each blossom. A good pollinator can pollinate 1,500 blossoms a morning. Do they use a spray <clears throat> bottle or something? I mean, how no. do they do it? The anatomy of the flower, you take the stamen and the stigma, and there's a little flap. And then with a little stick, like almost like a toothpick, you lift up that flap and then you pinch them together. And then immediately the blossom wilts. The next day it falls off. And within three days, you can start seeing the pod start forming. 
Wow. So have you seen this quite a bit? Have you oh, yeah. been, have you traveled all over? I've traveled all over the world. That's my job. I search for the finest vanilla and I am not a very good pollinator, but we work with a lot of villages in Madagascar and even on our own plantation. So I've had quite a bit of experience. Once the pod starts coming out, it's in a cluster. It has to stay on the vine for nine months. And that is the most important aspect of vanilla, is that it is harvested when it's fully mature. The vanilla flowers are in clusters. They bloom sequentially. So you can tell when one flower is blooming, and then you'll see another blossom. And you can predict when that's going to bloom. The farmers know where the flowers are going to be blooming and when they need pollinated. Because vanilla is such a high-value crop, the farmers are very, very efficient and make sure they want to pollinate as many blossoms as they can so they get the best crop they can. Okay, so then after nine months, and this is the most important thing about vanilla, especially quality vanilla, most vanilla is picked prematurely from the vine because it's a high-value crop, and it's usually produced in a very poor economic country, so theft is naturally a problem. The bean at six months is at its peak as far as weight goes, and vanilla is sold by weight, but that would be like picking grapes in June you're just not going to have any flavors. So the farmers, the last three months to get a fully mature bean, they have to literally sit with their crop night and day with machetes guarding their vanilla crop. This is during the wet season, so there's rain. It's very tough to keep those beans on the vine. There's also another, something else that goes against it. In Madagascar, they have their Independence Day, which is at the end of June. They want their money for the big celebration, so sometimes they'll want to pick their crop early for that, and really they shouldn't be picking till mid to late July. Like I say, I searched the world for these very ripe vanilla beans. Just going to Madagascar, sometimes I have to travel three days to remote places of the bush, as we call it, the jungle, to find these ripe beans. You don't just receive shipments from your suppliers, you actually go source your product every year. Yes. During COVID, that was a little more difficult because you couldn't travel. And I, I worked very closely with someone in Madagascar. He's like my partner, he's Malagasy. During COVID, I couldn't do that. Harvest time is in July and we call it the vanilla campaign begins. I would like to be there and make sure that we source those yellow tipped split beans that are just, after they're cured, packed with flavor that just makes the most beautiful vanilla in the world. I do do that to make sure that for our quality vanilla that we get those beans. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm in Paso Robles discovering how the vanilla gets from Madagascar to our cupboards. Josephine is about to describe to me the processing of vanilla as she shows me photos of each stage. If you need that imagery to follow this journey, then go to kcbx.org and the Playing With Food podcast page to see those same images. Most vanilla companies, they usually buy vanilla from big exporters. I like to go direct. It's my father's way of doing business as well. Sourcing directly, you form a bond with the culture of vanilla, which I love. The farmers, they know where the vanilla is going. I know where it comes from. And the quality, you just can't simply order vanilla beans and count on the quality. The only way you can do that is when you're on the scene and they know what you want. I pay them extra to leave the beans on the vine longer. 
Also, it's good because I can foresee the market. So vanilla is a boom bust commodity and the price can vary from $15 a kilo to $650 a kilo. This can go fast. We just are getting out of a boom cycle where there was a vanilla shortage. Had I not been in Madagascar, we wouldn't have had any vanilla. It was that scarce. Every vanilla bean, I estimate, is handled 200 times before it's ready to be shipped. So the curing is done on site in Madagascar. It's about a four month curing process if it is done right. And we do a slow traditional cure, the way the Aztecs cured vanilla. We get the beans from the vine. They have to sit for a day or two. And then they're scalded in hot water, a hot water bath. And the expert cure knows the temperature, he knows the time, but usually it's a minute or two. And that halts photosynthesis keeps the bean from rotting, then put them into these big wooden bins and cover them with blankets. It's important that they're kept warm, and so it's just natural warmth because in these areas they don't have heat. We dump them all out and we lay them flat for another day in a shelter out of the sun. And then the next day we put them on bamboo racks in the sun for about two hours until they get nice and warm. They're rolled up in blankets, put to bed at night, and kept covered. And an important part is that they're kept warm. This is another difficulty for vanilla. The curing season is always during the rainy season. We want the sun, sun, sun. And if it doesn't get sunny, then there's mold issues and there's a lot of other things that can go wrong. So the curing season is very kind of on pins and needles, hoping for sun. And you just don't keep your eye off of the vanilla. And then the whole time that the vanilla is out in the sun, we're sorting them for moisture content. Then when it reaches about... 45% moisture, then we're going to take them inside for a slower cure, and they're put inside in racks, sorting them for moisture, and because a wet bean next to a dry bean will cause mold. While we're sorting them, then we go through a bundling process where the beans are all hand bundled according to moisture length. Then they're conditioned in wooden crates. We're unbundling, we're bundling, unbundling, depending on moisture levels, if there's any mold that develops. It's very tedious process. Only in Madagascar do they handle it right, the way it should be handled. In this picture, the pods are green and turning yellow. So is it during this curing process that they turn brown? Yes. The yellow beans are the ripe beans. Those are the beans we want. And sometimes they split. And you'll see in that photo, that's perfect for us. That means it's fully ripe, it's bursting. Then after we dip them in the hot water, that's when they turn brown. And they're usually big and fat and plump after they're dipped. We want to get that moisture down. So for an extract grade bean, we want about 24% moisture. Starts out, say, at 60 So during four months, we're gradually taking that moisture down. It's like a fermentation process. And the flavor just keeps developing and developing until it's just stable and oily and bursting with flavor. We call them our beanie babies. They're like they're on the vine for nine months. They have to be in blankets and you can't keep your eye off of them. If you take your eye off of vanilla, it will spoil. It just needs 24 hour attention. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, learning about how vanilla is grown and processed. Josephine at Cook's Vanilla just went through the growing, harvesting, and curing of vanilla beans. 
We then went through the extraction process in the facility in Paso Robles. The vanilla is put into percolators with water and alcohol, and the flavor is cold extracted, which creates a higher quality vanilla end product than fast hot extraction. The extract is then bottled either for retail, wholesale, or commercial uses. You can see the equipment on the podcast site at kcbx.org. Then Josephine went back to the most interesting characteristic of vanilla. Remember, vanilla came from one specific place in Mexico and is pollinated by one specific bee, yet... Every human being on the earth has a receptor, a positive receptor for vanilla. To find someone who doesn't like vanilla, you probably won't find anyone. Whereas lemon, orange, peppermint, you find people that like or dislike those. And then the only negative receptor we have is for sulfur or skunk smell. Vanilla, you can never really taste it. It just enhances everything. And pure vanilla does that. The imitation vanilla, not so much. It's like a one-dimensional. Pure vanilla just enhances it. And yes, we all have a receptor for it. So we naturally love it. And if it's not there, it's like salt. If it's not in there, it's like there's something missing. You put it in, it's like, oh. You compared it to salt, it enhances everything, but also like salt, too much of enhancement can be a bad thing, right? Not so much with vanilla. I always like at least triple, quadruple the recipe. Well, I mean, you grew up with vanilla. I grew up with vanilla. And I can, I, my dad always said, use the glug glug with vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent, if you added a cup of vanilla, you're going to have this extremely alcoholic product. But a teaspoon or a tablespoon, no. It's not like that with salt, you add too much, it's all. The history of vanilla is fascinating. It originated in Papantla, Veracruz, Mexico. The earliest we know it was discovered by the Aztecs. It was the only place in the world where there was vanilla. And they discovered this whole curing process. They had a king, and his name was Montezuma. The Aztecs had this myth that there was a white-bearded god that would come to them. And here came Cortez, and they thought he was the white-bearded god. So they... And that certainly was a myth. <laughs> So they served Cortez and his crew on big banquet tables. There's gold and silver, because Mexico had a lot of gold and silver. Cortez was just thinking, what is in Montezuma's treasure chests? So he killed Montezuma, found cocoa beans and vanilla beans in his treasure chest. Cortez took the vanilla and the cocoa back to Europe, and the French fell in love with vanilla. They had these islands in the Indian Ocean, which is now La Reunion, and this is the area where Madagascar is. They transplanted these vanilla cuttings, and they had beautiful vines, and they had beautiful flowers, and for 500 years, not one vanilla bean and they called it the Curse of Montezuma. They sent a French botanist, Charles Moran. That's one story. There's also the little Albus, the slave boy. Probably a little bit of both, but Charles Moran went and he discovered there's nothing here to pollinate the orchid. He or the slave boy discovered the hand pollination, and that was in 1850, so it wasn't that long ago. Before that, all the vanilla came from Mexico, and now Mexico produces very little. It's becoming very dry. Climate change has not helped Mexico with its vanilla production. Then we had a look at the bundles of cured vanilla beans. Is this what goes in the little sleeve when you buy vanilla beans? Yes. So there's different qualities. For our extract vanilla, we want the split drier beans because they're packed with flavor, and we just get this gorgeous extract from them. 
For the vanilla that the beans that are sold in the shelves, those are called gourmet beans and they are a lot moister. These are about 34% moisture, whereas the extract beans are 24. The gourmet beans, the chefs will split them and scrape them. For homemade extract, the gourmet beans really aren't ideal. You really want the split beans that we use, but most of them unfortunately sold in the market are these wetter beans. So you'll never get super, super concentrated extract unless you use foxy red splits. Well, it's what we're conditioned to believe. Right. We're conditioned to believe that if you have a vanilla bean, it's going to be the best flavor over anything that comes from a bottle. And you're telling me that's not actually true. Exactly. No, that's not true at all. When we extract, we have big percolators. We're doing a cold extraction. The alcohol and water are just going through the beans for three weeks. When you're doing it at home, you're just, you know, you're just letting the beans soak, and usually in vodka, and we use like a sugarcane organic extract. You're really not gonna get as good of an extract extracting at home, but it is a fun process. Do you ever line them up and just do side-by-side -side tastings? All the time. Every percolator, we do a taste test on it. We are always tasting our vanilla compared to other vanillas. We have different origins, like Uganda. We do a lot of analysis. We do a valin analysis. We do tastings. We do... I'm probably one of those few people in the world that can smell and tell you where the vanilla beans came from, you know, what type of beans are in it. It's a very sensory job here. Which I have to say, during COVID, I lost my sense of smell and taste. And that was horrible for three months. And I was assured it'll come back. <laughs> it finally did, but I was handicapped. Yeah. Because I could not smell the vanilla beans. And it was, you couldn't do your job. I couldn't. And I'd have to rely on someone else. No one has the nose I do because when you're traveling, you pick that up. And it's something that takes years and years of experience. You're fourth generation, is that correct? Yes. We have all three of our children involved, <laughs> for better, for worse. It's vanilla in our blood. Once it gets into you, you just, it's part of you. My children say it's their fourth sibling and it's my fourth child. <laughs> it's a living organism. What are some of the more interesting things that people have done with your vanilla? Well, I went to Cal Poly for my senior project. I did an experiment and I distributed vanilla to as many people as I could. And I said, just use it in all different things and tell me what you think. So some of the interesting, it's wonderful in tomato sauce. It cuts the acid. You can just use like a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon, a little bit, and that'll cut the acid. But it's funny, back then it was like hamburger helper. People went crazy in vanilla and hamburger helper. I don't know why. It's really good in fish. Just take, sauteed fish? Yes. Use just a little in fish and the sauces. It's fabulous. One other interesting thing about vanilla is that a calf, where the cow can't bond with feed calf, the only way they can get the calf to take another type of milk is to add pure vanilla to it. And it's only pure. The calf can distinguish between pure and not pure. Put a vanilla bean in your jelly or jam. It really makes a difference. Put a vanilla bean in your sugar, and you always have this beautiful vanilla sugar. But savory dishes, surprisingly, it's really nice. In the savory, you do want to add just a little. Also, it's always good to add pure vanilla to protein shakes. It's really good with strawberry, orange and vanilla. So that's just a few. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I had no idea that a vanilla bean's journey was so involved and intricate and intriguing. Exploring the journey of vanilla from the orchid to my pantry, having no special or extra features, ordinary, 
or standard. Will now never come into my head. Vanilla is far from ordinary or standard, and though it's grown, harvested, and cured literally halfway around the world, it's extracted, bottled, and sold right here on the Central Coast. In Josephine's summary of the vanilla journey, you get just how amazing it is. This is a bit different than I thought, where you would just let the bean dry on the vine. You pick it, put it in some ethanol, drain that off, put it in a bottle, and put it on the shelf. Right. No, unfortunately, that... <laughs> it's not that easy. Is that what people think it is? <laughs> yeah, I think that because vanilla is grown in these very exotic remote places, most people don't appreciate the time and labor and care that goes into vanilla. You know, when you look at that bottle on the shelf, to think that came from someone who's hand pollinating the flower, not to mention the care of the vine, the hand care of the vine, they're hand harvesting and you don't just harvest all the vanilla on one day. It's harvested when it's ripe, one bean at a time. And then it goes through this very extensive curing process and hand labor. When we get the vanilla, then we extract it. Like I say, in Madagascar, they're experts at curing, and that's what makes their vanilla so good. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.